Hi everybody, I'm Peter Travers and welcome to Popcorn where we tell you what is happening at the movies. And uh, there's a movie out now called The Emoji Movie, starring my guest Patrick Stewart. Uh, Patrick Stewart, uh, you all know for so many reasons. To me, he's one of the best actors on the planet. Uh, people, if they were passing him on the street, would know him as uh, Captain Picard from Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Trek. I should be killed for that. No, no, there is one worst offense. What is it? It was what a guy said to me in an elevator the other, the other day. Aren't you Dr. Spock from Star Wars? No, that's really bad. Yeah, <laughs> Dr. Every wrong detail on so many wrong. levels. Yeah, wrong. So <laughs> many levels to do this. But that wasn't the end of the story because his wife said, Oh, honey, you know who this is? This is Sir Ben Kingsley. <laughs> Okay, bye. Okay, well, there's a confidence builder for yeah, you. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Luckily, wow. I wasn't on my way here. So. But, but if I didn't know you uh, previous to the meeting today, I would say, how do you, uh, one of the Queen's Knights, you know, of Royal Shakespeare Company, how do you wind up playing the poop emoji in the emoji movie? What about that grabbed you and you said, I must play this role? Well, it... It might have partly been one of my team saying, Patrick, this could be the apex of your career. That could have been one of the reasons. <laughs> one of the reasons, yes. Um, another one was, well, you know, you say you like notoriety. And then there were all those people who said, you know, Patrick Stewart's acting is a pile of poop. Mm -hmm. Well, now they've got justification for saying <laughs> they it. They can just hit the emoji yeah. and say that. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's great. But how do you prepare to play a pile of poop? I mean, that's it. Preparation is everything. It's been a lifelong preparation. <laughs> really? Even though we haven't had emojis until, well, you don't even know. No, but it's, I knew yeah. a time would come. <laughs> you had it. All of that hard work. Would, would add up to something. Would, exactly. You've got it in one. You're going to love this movie. <laughs> Pizza. I could see. So you met a lot of other emojis on the set of this, and it was all just a, a happy time. No, you know how it is with uh, animation. Mm -hmm. You don't meet anyone. Meet anyone? No. no. Mm -hmm. I, I once did an animated movie, and Whoopi Goldberg and I played a scene together in the same studio at the same time mm -hmm. because it was quite a complicated scene. That's the only time I've ever worked with another voiceover artist. Wow. Well, there are it's some, a lonely business. It is a lonely business. And, you know, knowing you as a, a person of the theater as well, it could be lonely on that stage if you're not getting along. Oh, <laughs> it, uh, lonely plus. plus lonely despite plus. the fact there might be a thousand eyes on you. And by the way, can I just point out the way you pronounced theater? Theater, yes. You say it with an H at the end, which is it's, very English. Theater. Oh, I thought it was so wrong Theater. for me to do it. I thought you would just like slam me for no, doing it. No, 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 no. It's 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 a very cultivated, cultured, upper class way of You're saying saying it. it. Yeah. Where I used to live in on the south bank of the Thames in Bermondsey, uh, they pronounce theater very differently there. One of my driver, a little minicab service, said to me one day, "So." Uh, Patrick, uh, which you prefer then? D do you prefer pictures of a fear? <laughs> Love it. Fear. Ah. 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 Which do you prefer? Well, you <laughs> That's know, a good question. 
the great um, Scandinavian director Bergman, Ingmar Bergman, Bergen. who was one of the major film influences of the 20th century, also ran his, uh, his own theater company. And he was asked this question once, and he said, I love the cinema, but the theater is my life. Suddenly behind your head, there appeared a poster of Logan, you know. May one I? of my favorite movies. Turn it's right around. there. It's right there. What Look at it. Isn't that a great shot? It's a fabulous shot. And, and it's a really exceptionally great movie out of the whole X-Men <clears> genre. <throat> but we skip to the future. I think we don't expect that of this kind of movie where you and Hugh Jackman are giving performances that I think are as good as any you've given in movies. This is... There should be Oscar buzz all about what you did in this movie. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that was good. I liked the way you said that. When you win, well, you could say that in the same way. The, the, that phrase has not been used in connection with the work I do, maybe before. But it's so I'm flattered and delighted to hear it. Um, I can, I worked, as you know, very closely with uh, Hugh on that movie and there is certainly Academy Award material in that performance and in the film. The work that, that James Mangold did on the film is extraordinary. And the, the, the nature of the collaboration between James and Hugh and myself, uh, putting together what the tone, what the mood, what the, the temperature of the film should be. And it was something very other than a superhero movie. What this movie's about, despite this action that's R-rated even, is about family. And it's, it's like a microcosm yeah. of everything that's happened before where uh, with this family of X-Men that are happening, all done with age and with the dying of a light. You know? mm -hmm. This is extraordinary that it's happening. Mm -hmm. Did they try to talk to James Mangold and everyone say, what are you doing? I, I'm sure that there were some stressful conversations that happened. <laughs> Early on in that. I was not party to any of them, but James survived them magnificently. He's a, he's a strong person. And he had a vision for what he wanted this movie to be. And Hugh, from the outset, shared that vision with him. They both felt very good about it. And when I came on board, I too, I mean, the fascination was of playing a man whose biggest impact, perhaps, was not only his superhero skills, but that he was a brilliant individual, an intellectual. Mm -hmm. And now we find this burbling, gabbing, incontinent, uh, angry, violent man, and occasionally quieter and more normal. And there was a real, as you will appreciate, there was a fascination in taking Charles Xavier 20 years into the future and looking at what he might have become. Mm -hmm. Now, you said this is the end. You're sticking with that? Because it doesn't have to be. You could always go back in time again if you wanted to. It would be possible. I, I feel, in every sense of the word, it would be retrograde mm -hmm. to do that. Um, and my decision... I mean, Hugh had gone public with his decision long ago. But for me, it happened 
on my first viewing of the movie with an audience, which was at the Berlin Film Festival, and I sat alongside Hugh. And when we got into the last five or six minutes of the movie, I, I saw Hugh's hand come up and just do this, mm. and I thought, oh my Lord, he was crying, and I too was feeling emotion. And I thought, well, if Hugh Jackman can cry at a movie, I can do it as well. So I, uh, another one too. <laughs> and then, would you know what happened next? He then took my hand and held on to it for the, and the whole ending sequence of the movie. And then we were watching the credits because the festival wouldn't let us go on stage until, which is quite right, mm -hmm. all the credits had run, and they're endless, you know, in these movies. Oh, they're 10, 15 uh, minutes. While I was sitting there, I thought, at some point, I will say au revoir to this franchise. Can it ever be better than this? And I don't think it could. And also, you know, we were at the Berlin Film Festival too, and it enabled me to tell you this anecdote. Well, but it's a sort of a, a wonderful story about what goes on when you're making a series. How many were there that you were in? I, Is it 10? I made appearances in seven. Seven. Of them, yeah. So it's a part of who you are. Um, 17 years. Yeah, yeah. All, all those uh, from, from the first X-Men movie to Logan was 17 years. And when you did Star Trek Next Generation, it's, that that's was another... Less. It wasn't as much. That was about 14 years. So <laughs> you could say I've had a franchise in my life for nearly 30 years. Where did these people go in your head? Did they live inside your head somewhere? Which people? Those people, Captain Picard, oh, those Professor people. X, those um, people. What do you do well, with those characters in the case that you've played so long? Jean-Luc, you know, we did seven seasons of um, Next Generation. And with each season and each episode even, the, the, the line between Jean-Luc Picard and Patrick Stewart got thinner and thinner and thinner until... Quite honestly, there was a, a total overlap to the extent that I didn't have to sit in my trailer uh, meditating on who Jean-Luc Picard was <laughs> because there was so, by that time, there was so much of me in it. And um, uh, also, when Jean very sadly died far too soon in the third season of the series, Jean Roddenberry, mm -hmm. that is, um, there was a change of tone that came with a new executive director, Rick Berman. And it, the shows became a little more controversial, a little more political, mm -hmm. which having been a political person all my life, since the age of five, I committed my first act of civil disobedience <laughs> in the 1945 general election. Policemen told me to move on and I refused. And he went to hit me, because you could, policemen could just you know, hit you around the head in those days. And uh, luckily my father, who was a regimental sergeant major in the British Army, I said, that's my dad over there. And he had second thoughts about <laughs> it. Because <laughs> uh, I was carrying a placard, you know. And children weren't supposed to do <laughs> no, things like that in those days. No, it can't be happening. Um, you still have that in you? This feeling of resistance? Because I heard that you were thinking of U.S. citizenship. I was, yes. You dropped that idea because of our recent elections? No. <laughs> It was because of your recent really? election that I had the idea that I, it is high time I became a citizen of the United States because I 
I said, I've been political all my life, mm -hmm. and I have engaged in certain aspects of American politics. I was a, a, an active supporter of um, Al, Gore. Al Gore. I campaigned for mm -hmm. Al. But they re I reached a point when I couldn't do more because the questions would be asked, and if you're campaigning in an American election, why are you not a citizen? No answer to that. Um, the issues of citizenship in relation to my British citizenship made it very awkward. And so um, I, am, I remain, and people love this, a resident alien. <laughs> it, it is very, perfect in so many ways. In so many ways, and very, very proud to be, always, yeah. But you've always seemed to me when we've spoken to be a citizen of the world, somebody that was concerned about the world that you lived in. I remember it, it very sad story that you told me the first time that we met about growing up and about how your father was abusive to your mother mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that you still support groups for domestic violence. Well, in fact, I discovered while I was filming a program for the BBC called Who Do You Think You Are? Yeah. Where they take a celebrity or some individual and examine someone from their past. Mm -hmm. And it can be 500 years in the past or it could be very, in my case, to my astonishment and very unexpected. It proved to have been my father. And as a result of that, I learned, we were talking about Dunkirk. My father was evacuated from Cherbourg. Mm -hmm. He was on the last boat to leave Cherbourg when the Nazi panzer divisions were already in the edges of the town. He returned to England severely shell-shocked, it was called in those days. The PTSD, PTSD that we PTSD, call it, yeah. For which he was never treated. And indeed, up to this day, there are veterans who, who are suffering, who have not been properly treated, mm -hmm. not properly looked after by the British government or the American government which is a scandal. Uh, you know, we say thank you for your service. Right. While and you're goodbye. serving, and then goodbye. Yeah. You know, do the best you yeah. can. And so, yes, my father got a bad press from me. And I, I support a, a wonderful organization called Refuge. It's the biggest domestic violence charitable organization in the UK. And I'm very proud to be a patron mm -hmm. of that. But now I'm also a patron of an organization called Combat Stress which helps soldiers, not just with PTSD, but in many, many instances, that's what it is, or variations of that. So I do one for my mother, and I do the other for my father, who was never treated. And his behavior after the war, in the years when I got to know him, um, were classic examples of uh, someone, someone severely suffering from PTSD. So you, th through that, you're making your own peace with what happened and what went on. That is exactly how I feel. Yeah. Because I just, what was that first time of you growing up where you said, I want to be an actor, I want to do this, I want... I wasn't that young, I was 12. That's puberty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And my English teacher, um, who is responsible for almost everything important that happened in my life. He first put a copy of Shakespeare into my hand. He first put me into a play with adults. And he was the first person to say to me when I was leaving school at the age of 15, I didn't drop out. My education was over. Um, in those days, it was over at 15. And he said, have you considered becoming a professional actor? 
Well, this man is now in his 90s. And less than a week ago, I talked to him on the phone. Ah. He called me up and he said, as he nearly always says, Patrick, I'm worried about you. You're doing too much. I think you should take it easy. <laughs> What's teacher. this about the emoji movie? <laughs> yeah, indeed, exactly. Exactly, no. something like that. But yeah. His name is Cecil Dormand and uh, a brilliant teacher and for me, uh, uh, the most profound influence on my life and career. You know, you got married. Married a wonderful singer, mm -hmm. you know. That's the only way I know her, but she's exceptionally fine doing it. Jazz, country. And then suddenly I see you doing something with her where it says Patrick Stewart's Cowboy Classics. There you are. No, it happened. It did, yeah. I'm sure you did it for a good reason. Well, the, all the proceeds from the, the little money that we made out of releasing that album uh, went to um, rescue organize, International Rescue here in the United States, mm -hmm. here in New York, actually, run by David Miliband. So it, it went to a good cause yep. a, as yep. well as making me like laugh uncontrollably, you know, <laughs> because it just goes on. It's just like one of those things you see on TV and you're in different cowboy outfits and yeah. twirling mm -hmm. things and doing it. And I bring it up only because we always end this show in song. Oh. And just a, a little piece of it. And I don't know, maybe you and Sonny just sing together all the time. Because now that you're living here in, where are you, in Brooklyn Heights? Uh, nowhere in Park Slope. Park Slope. Or okay. nowhere to Park Slope. Is, but, yes, well. <laughs> um, Park Slope. No, actually, we don't. We rarely do. On that album is the mm -hmm. only time we have formally sung together. She has a sensational and highly trained voice. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a, not even a journeyman singer. I, I just have a go. I'm an actor who have sings a, go. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, have a little go now for, for what, me. You, you like one of the cowboy classics? I, I kind or? of love them all. Okay, well, yeah. um, just a few phrases. Be, uh, yeah, Rawhide <clears throat> was amazing, too. Rawhide was wonderful. I, don't, I feel <laughs> wonderful. I need to warm up for Rawhide. So what about um, Ghost Riders in the Sky? Oh, wow. An old cowpoke went riding out one dark and windy day. Upon a ridge he rested as he went along his way. Oh, Lord, <laughs> listen to that. When all at once a mighty herd of red-eyed cows he saw a-plowing through the ragged sky and up the cloudy draw. Yippee-yay, yippee-yay, I am not uh, going to attempt. You're, done. you're not going that high. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Yeah, but, oh, that was no. Well, nobody, nobody ever we gets applause on this show. No, no. no. I <laughs> it's, just, you. it's amazing. I enjoy talking to you, Dude, Peter. It's always great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you.